0: Titus chapter three, starting with verse number one. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness of love, our God, our Savior, toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will, that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for gathering us here in your house to honor you, to worship you, To have a Sunday with the church willing to hear your word. To be inspired by your word. To have your word in their lives. Be with me now. Make me a channel for your word. I don't have any words of my own, Lord. Give me your word to speak about your Bible, your message right now. And be with this whole congregation, whether it be high school, middle school, juniors, preschools, whoever. they have that same heart right now. To hear and learn your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we finish our study of the book of Titus. This, remember, is just an overview. This is the quick version, the short version. I implore you all, after you hear my summary, my overview that you guys go and read this on your own, right? To get the details. Because even though it's a short book, just three chapters, it's a dense book. There's a lot to learn about. In fact, if we did a real Bible study on it, a real Sunday school, I could probably ramble on for years and years, one verse at a time, two verses at a time, right? And we never finish ever. But I just wanna give you a little bit of flavor of what Titus is about, and hopefully inspire you guys to read a little bit more on your own. If you remember, we talked about how Titus was left in charge of the church at Crete, right? So he's supposed to be building up this church here, the church of Crete. And Paul writes him this letter to help guide him along, to also have as a reference for others to look at, to know that, aha, this is how the church ought to be built up. And this is the right way of doing it. This is the proper way of doing it. This is how to get it done. And the theme, if we had to boil down, because you know me, I always like to give the theme of each book, right? The theme of this book, boiled down to one sentence, is the character and the conduct of the church, right? He's trying to teach Titus about the character and the conduct of the church. And we're going to see that today as we do our last... Quickie summary of all three chapters of how that's expressed throughout all three chapters. Talking about the character of the church, its members, its leaders, and the conduct of the church, its members, its leaders. That's what it's about. Last time, when we looked at the introduction, we looked about Paul's principles that he laid out. Right? Very important principles. Because Paul is a man of principles. And as a man of principles, we knew that he could act with confidence, with wisdom, with authority. And he wanted to have Titus be able to act that same way, the same way Paul lived his life. And the principles we looked at last time were these four things. Number one, Paul believed in God's mastery. Paul always presented himself as a servant of God, first and foremost, as a servant, a slave to God. Right? He's not Paul the Great Apostle. He's not Paul the Great Missionary. He's not All Hail Paul. He's always been about All Hail God. All Hail God. Not about the individual, about God. And that's why he follows God, because he acts as if he is God's slave. He works not for personal glory, but for the glory of God. Number two, we studied last time, Paul believed in God's mission, his mission, right? His mission to get people saved, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. No person ever lived that out more so than Paul himself, right? That his mission was to get people saved and, and, not just get people saved, but to edify them, to teach them God's word. It doesn't just end that, I got saved, now I abandon you. Paul always went back and confirmed the churches, right? To build up the churches, to encourage the churches. So that why? They can continue to get more people saved also. Number three point we studied last time, Paul believed in God's methods, God's methods. And God made it very clear. How is the way we do his mission? We do it through preaching, through through preaching. And we saw in Paul's life, that's all he ever did, wasn't it? He went from city to city, what do he do? He went to one city, he preached the gospel. He went to another city, he preached the gospel. He went to a different city, he preached the gospel. Preaching, even today, should be the way that we do God's work. Talking to people about who Jesus Christ is. It's not about having whatever the newfangled, new age way of doing things are. It's not about having, you know, rock concerts or having exciting, amazing, whatever, church events or whatever. It's about preaching, first and foremost, right? Today, sometimes people get sidetracked by these other things. No, 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 The most important thing is stuff like what I mentioned earlier, that we're going to pray for our math camp witnesses, stuff like that. That is preaching, one-on-one, preaching the gospel to someone, telling them the way to get saved. It's true for all of us. You don't have to be a pastor to be a preacher right to preach simply means to speak the words to speak the words of god to share that gospel a duty for all of us so to do god's mission we have to use his method we have to preach that's the only way we have to use our mouths to share the word of god finally we looked at last time how paul believed in god's men and if you remember, I used men just because I wanted the four M's. Men really means humans, right? God believed, Paul believed in God's people. It was important for him to build up other people, to continue that ministry, right? To teach people about God's mastery so they could follow God's mission, doing God's method. That's why he wrote these epistles. That's why he's encouraging Titus. And that's why we're looking at this stuff today. So those are the principles. The principles were important because they set out the pattern that God gave for us of how do we do it, right? And the pattern, while written directly to Titus, wasn't just for the leaders of the church. There's a reason Paul put it in writing so that everyone could look at it and everyone could see. I mean that's the way God wanted to do, right? That's why God gave us his Bible, right? God gave us his Bible so that everyone can look at it and everyone can see what are the principles, how are they important, how do we do it? The principles inform the character and the conduct of the church. So we said that's the theme of this book. We look at the character and the conduct of the church. It's all based on God's principles. I said this before. If we broke down the three chapters and the three subheadings, we'd say it like this. Chapter 1 is about the character and the conduct of the leaders of the church. Chapter 2 is about the character and conduct of the members of the church. Chapter 3 is about the character and the conduct of the church's witness to the outside world. So we'll be ripping through the three chapters today a little bit to see how God's principles are manifest in these three different sets of people and three different sets of relationships. But really, Really, we can start off by looking, if we want to figure this out, about how we're supposed to act and how our conduct and character is supposed to be. Really, we can start off at the end. So we're going to do something unusual today. We're going to start with Chapter 3, then go to Chapter 2, and then Chapter 1. Because Chapter 3 gets the conclusion. It makes kind of more sense, right? To start at the conclusion, and we'll work backwards and see how each set of relationships informs that conclusion, right? Chapter three talks about, and we read the verses from at the very start, about our witness to the world, the church's relationship with the outside world, right? How are we supposed to, what is our job, what is our duty when it comes to interacting with other people? Just as an aside. Think about the world we live in today, right? Look out into the street over there, look at the news, read your newspaper, Read whatever. watch the news, whatever. What are we observing about the world we live in today? We know that we live in a world that's becomingly, increasingly anti-God, right? A more and more secular world, right? A world that's accepting of sin, wanting to normalize sin, right? Where we want to just say, you know what? We live by individual freedom, doing things our way. We don't care what you do, it's your life, we don't care. That's the world we want to live in, right? Where everyone has freedom, do what you want. You want want to drink alcohol, drink all you like. You want to smoke marijuana, that's okay too now. You want to go marry whoever you want, I don't care. You go do it. You want to say that you're a man one day and a woman another day? That's fine. We're not going to get up in your business. That's the way of the world now. And all the polls and trends, we see it, right? We might not like it, but we see it. We see that's increasingly becoming the norm, right? The norm is moving away from God's morality, right? And towards the world's laissez-faire, do what you want, type attitude, as long as you don't hurt me, I don't care, do whatever you want, live however you want, you can go live wherever wherever you want, don't get married, doesn't matter, you can have X number of boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever, I don't care, doesn't matter, that's the world's attitude, right? Whereas once we knew that, for example, in the United States, we had the Bible as a kind of foundation. Right? As a kind of like a moral baseline that at the very least we subscribe to certain family values, cultural values or whatever, those things are all eroded. In fact, some people would say that believing in these cultural, moral values, family values, biblical values some people even define that as uh, being hateful, hate speech, um, you know, unloving, mean-spirited, whatever. You've seen it on the news over and over again you don't need me to point out what the current trend of the world is that's the world we live in how do we deal with that how do we interact with that world around us the unsaved world the secular world we're reading verse number one of titus chapter three it says put them in mind he's talking to titus here you need to do this put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers to obey magistrates to be ready to every good work. Put them in mind, first of all, to be subject to the government, to be obedient to the government. Number two, in verse two, it says, to speak evil of no man, to be gentle, showing meekness unto all men. Number two, that when we're outside, to the outside world, we speak no evil. We're not saying bad thing, we're not bad-mouthing people, but instead being gentle, meek, kind, Right? Two, as verse number four says, follow after what? After that kindness and love of God our Savior toward man. Right? Follow in the footsteps of Jesus our Savior. Be like Christ. Right? This is our place in the world, he says, here. So some interesting things here. And you know, maybe some things that might surprise you. That, that I will say here a little bit about uh, what Paul says ought to be our relationship to the world. Number one, he says we're subject to the government. Subject to the government. So we just talked about all these things going on, right, in the world today. How even the government is going against what we're saying, right? The government's not beholden to the Bible and God's morality and all those things. The government does government things and do it their way. So we're saying, even though the government is moving further and further away from God, that we still need to honor and respect our government? Paul's answer is yes. Paul's answer is yes. We're supposed to follow the government, follow the laws of the government, obey the government, whatever it is, because that's the way God set out this certain order in the world. Think about what kind of order that Paul lived in back then, the historical context. Paul lived in the Roman Empire, Roman times, right? Folks, we say today, oh, things are getting bad, people don't follow God anymore. Back then, in the Roman Empire, no one even knew who God was, right? They didn't worship God, they had Caesar. We follow Caesar, and what Caesar says, we follow the Roman gods. We follow Jupiter, or Mars, or whoever, right? These are our gods, right? They didn't follow any of these things. And what do we know about Roman society? It was brutal. It was violent. It was immoral. They didn't have standards. Their standard was whatever the Caesar said, right? So they could do whatever they want. Their version of having fun was putting people into the lion pit and watching the lions rip them up and eat them, right? That's Romans. They had no morality of, that, of any kind of Bible sort, right? They didn't know what the Bible was. They never heard of any of God's word. He lived in that time. Definitely, definitely worse than ours. No one knew what the Bible was back then, only very few people. Against that backdrop, does Paul ever say we need a revolution against the government? You you guys have read the Bible. Is there any verse that says, let's go revolt against the government. Let's go and overthrow the government and put in our own government, one that believes in God, that will create laws that believe in God, that will legislate out all this immoral stuff that the Romans are doing, all their murdering, all their sexual immorality, all their lying, stealing, cheating, wars, all these other things. No. There's not one verse in the Bible that says that. Paul never... Oh, we got to fix this situation here. People are sinning too much. We need to go change the law, protest to Caesar, tell him to make it illegal to marry more than one wife, tell him to make it illegal to have premarital sex or whatever. It's illegal to uh, murder people and do all those other things or whatever. Tell them to do all these other changes. Never. Never. Paul says instead, we're subject to the government. Whatever. Who cares? That's kind of his attitude. Who cares? Just obey whatever the rule is and get on with God's work. You're saying, even if the ruler is someone bad. A lot of people nowadays, people would say, "Oh, I don't like Donald Trump. Do you still follow him? He's our president." People say he's a bad president or whatever. Yeah. Oh, I didn't like Obama. He was the president before, right? Do you follow, we were supposed to follow him. Yeah. What happens if the leader is some horrible person like Joseph Stalin, all these terrible persons, the murderer, Hitler, It's terrible. Yeah, whatever, doesn't matter. That's actually not our concern. It wasn't Paul's concern that the leader was Caesar. He's terrible, totally anti-God leader, right? Doesn't matter. Why is that? Because of the principles. What is the Christian principle that we've been talking about? The principle is that the important thing The mission of Christians is not to effectuate cultural change it's not to effectuate cultural change it's to do what it's to share the message of eternal life through Jesus Christ verse number five right it says what it says we're talking about the washing of regeneration the renewing of the Holy Ghost right which was shed through Jesus Christ our Savior that being justified through grace his grace, we get what? Eternal life. We get eternal life. Nothing else matters. Not politics, not imposing morality, and all these things, right? You see a lot about on the news today, right? In the past week, we heard about all these states saying, oh, we're going to pass all these laws restricting abortion." Say, Norman, is that a big deal? Is that something you should be in favor of? Should we be campaigning? Yes, go ahead, go out there and pass more of these restrictive abortion laws. It might shock you to hear me say this, but the answer is no. That's a waste of time for the church, right? These people are going to spend all their energy campaigning, lobbying politicians. They're going to make all these anti-abortion laws, and I'm going to predict to you exactly what will happen. I will tell you exactly what will happen. They're going to go into court... They might win, they'll lose, or whatever. But the reality is that there will still be abortions in the United States. That's a fact. Say, what happens if they overturn Roe versus Wade? And I'll tell you my legal opinion. Even if they do that, there will still be abortions in this country. End of story. That's a fact. They're doing all these things thinking we can legislate Christian values on the people. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Just look at what happens in things like the Islamic State where they try to legislate Islamic values on people, where they say, you follow the rules of Allah, or else we murder you and you die. Does that work in that country? Does that make everyone say, like, yes, I love Allah, I'm going to follow Muhammad and all his words and stuff like that? No, it makes people fight against it and rebel and say, I'm not going to follow it. Folks, it's no different here. You can't just legislate and say, oh, we're going to ban this and ban that. doesn't work. Right? For all the things Melvin says about being prohibitionists, we know that way back when, when they had prohibition, it didn't work, right? And then it did not work. Why? Because you're just imposing things on them, but you're not changing the heart and mind of the people. When we just do that, it's just counterproductive to impose on people, to say, thou shalt not have an abortion or drink alcohol or whatever. Because they don't understand. They don't care. They're the atheists. They're the non-religious. It does not make sense to them. Why are we doing this? The way to solve all of the problems. and You've heard Melvin say this a million times already, but I'll say it again. How do you solve the real problems? How do you get people to stop having abortions? How do you get people to stop drinking alcohol? How do you get people to stop doing all these worldly, immoral things that are invading our culture? The way you do it is the same way Paul did it back then. You get people saved. When you get saved, your heart is transformed. When your heart's transformed, when you have Jesus in your heart, then you know, boy, I shouldn't do stuff like murder babies. Then you know I shouldn't do stuff like getting myself drunk all day long, right? That's not what God wants. You change people's hearts the way that Paul changed it. Change it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. People spend so much energy. Churches spend so much energy campaigning and politicking and doing all these things. But the reality is we are not citizens of earth. We're not citizens of earth. We don't care what the earthly law is. What did Jesus say when they asked him, should we pay our taxes or not? He says, render unto Caesar things that are Caesar." It doesn't matter. The Caesar's law is Caesar's law. Whatever. Who cares? We're not dealing with that. We want to deal with heavenly things. We want to do what's right, what the mission God sent us to do. So we're not going to care a whole lot about the politics of everything are, right? It doesn't matter if you live in a communist country, if you die without the gospel, you go to hell. If you live in the freest democratic country with all these rules uh, about Christian morality, if you don't have Jesus, you die, you go to hell. If we ban all the abortions in the world, but you don't have Jesus, you die, you go to hell. It doesn't matter what the law is. What matters is having Jesus. That was Paul's message. Paul never once said overthrow the government, change the law, do all these things. He said get people saved. When you get people saved, you get on the right track. How do we get people saved? How do we have that relationship with the outside world? Verse number 8 says this. This faithful saying, right? I will affirm confidently that which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto unto men, right? What's good and profitable? To maintain good works. As to us, to the outside world, it's our testimony that guides us, not our imposition. It's not us telling someone, don't do this. It's us showing people This is how we do this. Our testimony is more powerful than any moralizing there is. Our testimony is a way that that gospel gets shared with other people, that people accept and see the power, the transformation of Jesus Christ. You know, when we today look at stuff and we want to see is something legit or not, right? We always want to see, like, we'll look at the person. Let's look at the examples, right? If this doctor says, yes, I found out the way to cure cancer, you wouldn't just say, like, oh, I believe you now. You'd say what? Show me the patient. Where's the patient that had cancer and now he does not have cancer? And then I'll believe you when I see the patient, right? There's a proof. There's a person, right? You go to this investment guru. The investment guru says, you give me my money, I'll make you rich, and I'll make a lot of money. We'll say, I don't believe you. Show me the person. Show me the guy that you took his money and you made a lot of money. And then maybe I'll believe you, because you have evidence now, right? i look at this person, aha, uh-huh. I see that it happened, it worked. I believe you now, right? So when we tell someone, believe in Jesus, we've got to give an example too, right? That's what we demand of the world. We demand the world. Give me the proof, show me the person. When we talk about Jesus. We gotta show us the proof. Show us the person. That person's us. We're the one that we got to show out there. When people look at us and say, this is what Christians are like. Do I want to be like that? Is this one a person that I'm going to be inspired by? That this is the type of life I want, that I want to submit my life to Jesus Christ so I can be like this person? That's why Paul says there's importance with good works. There's importance with our testimony. Because that's what people looked at. And that's our relationship to the outside world. Remember, we were like them once. This is what it says in verse number 3, right? Verse number 3, we once were what? Foolish and disobedient and deceived, just like them, living in malice every day, right? It's only by luck that we had Jesus to save us from all that. And now that we have that, we want to guide others to that, to show them the way, to show them how not to be stuck in that way through our lives, through our example, which is why in Titus chapter 2, we see a lot about the conduct of the church. There's lessons there. How should men act? How should women act? How should the old act? How should the young act? How should employers act? How should employees act? Generally, and we don't have time to look at all details, right? Basically, he says stuff like follow sound doctrine, be sober, be obedient, proclaim Jesus, and all those things, right? That's what chapter 2 is about. You should read it, you should learn it. But. We have chapter 2 when it talks about these uh, standards for the church. Well, how do we get to that point in among the church? That's what we need chapter 1 for. Like I said, we're working backwards here. Working backwards. We need chapter 1. We need a leader to guide us, right? We need good teachers to teach the church, right? Teachers that teach us the right conduct. And that's why in chapter 1, Paul lists out the qualifications of how do you be a pastor, right? And... His qualification, if you boil it down into the one sentence version, because that's all we have time for today, right? It's all about godly character. It's the person that should be the leader of the church is the one that acts in the godliest way, right? He doesn't say you have to go to seminary school. It doesn't say you need to memorize the whole Bible. He says you have to act in a godly character. Why? Because if you're the pastor, you're the leader, you are the example, right? You're the teacher, you set the example. This is how you live your life. You've got to be sober. You've got to be vigilant. You've got to be obedient. You've got to be all these things. Because the congregation looks to you and they follow you. They copy you. Right? If you're up there and you say, I don't need to pray, and guess what? Your congregation is going to say, I don't need to pray. Your congregation, if you up there and saying, oh, I can drink alcohol and do whatever I want, guess what? Your congregation is going to say I'm going to drink alcohol and do whatever I want. Right? That's why Melvin gets up here and says the exact opposite, right? He gets up here and tells you, oh, I pray every day. That's why Nathan comes here and tells you every day that I have to go to work an hour early so I have time to pray, to set the example for us. To set the example, right? That's why they come here and say that like, you should never drink alcohol. I never do it. That's what Melvin will say. That's what I'll say. That's what everyone will say, right? That, that In the leadership, to give that example, right? Their example goes to you. You guys get that example. And your example goes where? to the world. And our example to the world is how we draw them to Jesus Christ, and that's how we share this important principle with them. Folks, Titus is simple. It's all about God's principles. We've got to know God's principles, and then we have to live out God's principles. It says here, in this quote here, the last quote here on my handout here, if you want to live in this world doing the duty of life, knowing the blessings of it doing your work heartily and yet not be absorbed by it, remember that the one power where you can so act that all shall be consecrated to Christ and be done for his sake. Consecrate yourself to Christ. Live for Christ. Be the example of Christ. Follow the principles of Christ. Let's pray. Dear God thank you for the book of Titus. Hopefully I've inspired some of the people here to read it and to learn the detailed uh, message that you have given here. It's so wonderful. There's so much to say. I wish we had more time, but we don't. I'm already way, way long over. But Lord, we thank you for it. We love you for your words. And we ask that you continually encourage us to be more like you, to be a shining light to the world that we guide. Your morality, not through laws and legislation, but through changing hearts and minds through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.